0: Thank you for joining me on another episode of the Ready, Set, Mindful podcast. I am so excited to have our guest today, Anna Markaline. She is a psychotherapist. she is a life coach and she's also a fellow podcaster. Her podcast is the Badass Confidence Coach podcast. So welcome, Anna. Welcome this morning. Thank
1: you, Carrie. Thanks
0: yeah so looking forward to our conversation. I want to just dive in into how your background and a little bit about how you came to be a therapist and and coach. Do you mind just starting with your story?
1: Yeah, no problem, so I gosh, I've always been interested in listening to other people's stories, you know since I was a little kid, actually, when I was probably in seventh or eighth grade, I was always the counselor to all my friends and my mom used to say to me, you know, that was back in the day. We'd be on the phone for hours and hours. So I'm dating myself by saying that, but that was traditional phone calls. And I was always on the phone and I should have been studying or should have been getting down to dinner. And my mom would say to me, you're too young to be everybody's counselor. So I, th- I, I think in some ways it was a, a gift. And I was just always interested in psychology and emotions. And that's what I, you know, studied in college psychology and social work. And then I continued on and that uh, was my, that was my graduate degree was in clinical social work. And I always knew that I wanted to do something in the field of counseling more and uh, directed towards wanting to have a private practice and to be able to see clients back to back. That was a dream of mine. So yeah, it's just always been an interest.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I think that's where it always it always starts. We go with what really interests us in our right. careers. It doesn't really sustain the test of time if it's not something we're, we're super passionate about doing. So right, right, <laughs>
1: right, exactly. I mean, I have of course other interests. When I was in college. I went through a period of time where I studied art history. I took an art history class in high school, and then I studied abroad in Rome in college, and I thought, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch. I'm gonna go into art history, but I quickly realized, as my father said to me, you're probably not going to make a lot of money doing either one, so do the one where you can probably get the most, you can get a job a little bit easier. <laughs> that's great so, advice. That's, yeah. So that has been just a hobby of mine, and, and I love it too, but I needed to think, you're right, about what was I passionate about, what, what would I imagine myself doing in 30 years, and it was definitely
0: sitting across from people and, and talking with them. Uh, I love that. I can definitely resonate with that. Um, yeah, right. One question that I get a lot, I'm sure you get this a lot, is how coaching differs from therapy, but specifically for you and your approach that you use with clients, how does your coaching differ from the therapy that you provide and maybe how you decide which clients need either coaching or therapy? Yeah, that is a,
1: that's a great question and, and one that is asked of me quite a bit, I think that it. It's confusing. I find that people today are very confused about coaching. They don't understand what it is. I will be very honest and say that I think it's gotten a little bit of a bad rap that people in the coaching industry, if friends around me say, Oh, you know, what, what is the certification or what's their schooling? These co- You want to be a coach, what's your schooling? It's, an, it's not a regulated industry. So I think that it's come under some criticism for that. And I know that being a psychotherapist trained and a licensed mental health therapist has made me a great coach. Mm -hmm. So the differences between the two are that as a therapist, I'm doing the deep dive with my clients. So with my therapy clients, we're looking at unresolved issues from childhood. We're looking at trauma. I'm a trauma therapist and we're doing that work that has a lot to do with the past. Not always but it has a lot to do with the past. Yeah. Coaching is more present day focused, looking towards the future. So my coaching clients, not that they don't have air quote issues from their past, and I certainly, as a therapist, will talk to them about it a bit, but we, we will go back there, but we quickly do go back to the present moment and focus on the future. So coaching, I always tell people it's present focused, looking towards the future. It's, I very much focus on what are your goals, Where do you want to see yourself in three months, six months, nine months from now? Now, there are coaching clients who together we realize this is more of a therapy issue when they've got something, maybe that's something that goes back to their past. It's come up for them in the coaching session and they realize they need to spend time and they need to work on that. I will send them to a therapist because once I'm their coach, I won't be their therapist. That's very important. So it's not that it doesn't come up with coaching clients. It's just that I'm not going to see, I'm not going to treat both. Right. Uh, Therapy is, and the the clients who come to me for therapy are also people who have technically diagnoses. So there's a diagnosis of a of a generalized anxiety disorder, for example, or they have a mood disorder, a major depressive disorder, bipolar one, bipolar two. There are uh, eating disorders. That's a specialty of mine. So bulimia nervosa. They they have a diagnosable condition, and I can. With a very clear conscience, give them a diagnosis and they could submit the super bill to insurance to get reimbursed uh, by their insurance company for payment. Life coaching, you're not giving them a diagnosis. Those clients aren't even coming, there's no interest in a diagnosis, and I'm not, that's not the hat
0: that I'm wearing with them. Right. Well, that's, that's absolutely clear. That's really important. I work with so many athletes who are coming for quote unquote, just performance anxiety or just, just an issue with their sport. And Hey, guess what? The mental health is underlying and there's always so much beneath the surface that's contributing to that performance anxiety. So I always say, Hey, whatever, whatever gets you in, in my door, like let's ask the right questions and go through a really holistic assessment to kind of figure out what your goals are and what's really, what's really happening. Like as a therapist, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, well, they're they're coming to me just for performance anxiety. And they just want to do visualization and some sports performance stuff. And I'm thinking there's some trauma there, but they don't want to work on it. And you have to just meet them where they are. And and I
1: think one thing I didn't say, which I think is important, is that coaching clients have homework. Therapy clients don't so much. So my coaching clients, I'm actually giving them weekly action steps. I'm Mm -hmm. their accountability partner. Yeah. So, and I love it, That that is really exciting, and I find that coaching clients love it. So I'm sending them, we do it, sh- I share a Google Doc with them, and I'm, I'm writing down what their action steps are for that next week, and there's sometimes there's back and forth the emails, or there's texting, I'll check in on them, how are you doing, how's it going with, maybe you're doing a three-day audit of how you're spending your time for 24 hours or 72 hours, I have a lot of my clients do that, because I have a lot of people who come to me feeling overwhelmed, And so number one, I say, let's, let's start with how you're working out. What are you doing every day? Yeah. And do a three day audit and that, that's homework. And then the next week we're going to talk about it. Therapy clients, we're not doing that with, I'm not doing that with, I will give homework to therapy clients if they ask for it. Some of them do want that. They say, what do you want me to do this week? I always recommend journaling. And I always recommend meditation to everyone across yes. the board, whether you be a therapy client or a coaching client. But I'm not so much going to be on them the next week to digi-journal. So that's a very clear difference between therapy and coaching. Therapy, uh, In many of my therapy clients, the session is a session, and then we say goodbye until we meet again next week.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. I do that as well with a lot of my coaching clients. I'm giving a lot of exercises, and then depending upon what I'm seeing with my therapy clients. I work with so many athletes who are type A highly motivated. They're, right. they're begging for things outside of that to streamline exactly. their progress. And so that kind of goes hand in hand. I love the three day audit. I think that's amazing. I think it's so important to see from the lens of where your, where your client is, what are they, what are they doing? What does their nutrition look like? Their sleep, you know, all of these things that are contributing to, to where they are it makes so much sense to get that picture painted for us so it can really help um, guide them in the, in the right direction. So love that you, you see that. I'm
1: surprised, too, at the to people who don't really want to do it. I mean, it's like oh. when they go to do it, when we're off the call, and they're like, and then a week later, let's say we're meeting in a week, they're like, oh, I did a day, I didn't do three, or like, I'm like, well, what did you do? Okay, there's a five-hour chunk here. What are we doing there? Well, I don't know, Anna. I don't want to put air like no. You need to do it in thirty-minute
0: increments. Yeah. And
1: it's 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 telling for them, and it's telling for me as their coach because what we're finding is that why they don't really want to look at their life at thirty-minute to an hour increments, and why is that? Yeah. And that is very telling for them. Like, yeah. Oh, because I was like Netflixing for two hours, and I was like doom scrolling on Instagram, and I don't want to tell you that. Like okay, but that's
0: okay. That's it's okay. No judgment. But let's look at that. Yeah, yeah. It absolutely is telling. And if you're moving toward those behaviors, the self sabotage that's getting you further away from alignment with the better version of yourself, let's get curious about that. What's driving that? That's awesome that you do that. Yeah. And so, who are some of the clients that you see, and what are what are their biggest challenges that they're struggling with? I know you've worked a lot with athletes. And now you're kind of migrating more into – you work with a lot of female clients and working toward confidence coaching and empowerment and that kind of stuff. But so, yeah, just kind of talk about that a little bit. So my – it
1: seems to have evolved. So I'll always see athletes. I was always referred athletes with mental health diagnoses. So I do work with performance anxiety. But like you had said earlier, Carrie, what I find is that they're coming to me for anxiety anxiety not just performance anxiety, but maybe a more generalized anxiety disorder that was preexisting before the athletics really kicked in. uh something that goes back for years. They're coming to me for a clinical depression, a low-lying depression that they're able to get out of bed every day. They're able to function, but there's a depression there. And I was I've always seen athletes, female athletes with eating disorders. That was a, a specialty of mine 25 years ago, and that's what I was mostly seeing clients for. Uh, 25, 20 years ago. Today, it has evolved where I'm seeing mostly women, now that I won't see men, I I have have and do see men, have male clients, but it's mostly women and it's around uh, the therapy is around anxiety and depression and body image issues and the coaching is all around confidence, imposter, lack of confidence, imposter syndrome, lack of self-worth, Lack of belief in oneself, mm-hmm. lack of courage, and that is overwhelmingly what I'm. People who are overwhelmed and not taking action in their lives, those are the the coaching clients. So I was going to say this earlier. There's a little bit of overlap between the two sometimes, sure. because and this is why I was going to say this as well. Is this is why I got into coaching? Is because many people were coming to me. There was a depression. But what I found and I had a life coach friend and I was sharing with her, you know, a lot of the different themes of what I was speaking about with my therapy clients. Is she said to me, you know, that's coaching because I was coaching them up on this is how you deal with uh, lack of confidence. This is how you deal with performance anxiety. And I would, these are people who didn't really have a diagnosis of an anxiety disorder, but they're coming to me for anxiety. I'm like, you don't really meet criteria. You need coaching.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: So. So it, there is some overlap there, but most of these people today are women and they're women, they're, they're women, 20 year olds. I have juniors and seniors in college. I have a client who, and I've had clients that have clients in their 70s who We're still dealing with some of these issues, mm. so it's over, it spans 50 years. It's yeah. really unbelievable. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Better late than never. That's, that's awesome that you Absolutely. can be in therapy. And, and I love
1: and I love my 70-year-olds because they're psychologically minded and have such a love for therapy or coaching. And they say to me, no, I am I'm will always be doing this because it's self-improvement. It's their personal development.
0: Yeah, I think that's so cool. And I, I talk with clients all the time about what therapy can look like and what coaching can look like and some of the questions I get. Okay, how many sessions do I, do I need or how many times a week or what's going to work for me? And uh, since I do have so many clients that are, and you do as well, coaching clients who are just wanting to maybe optimize, like once they've gotten to that, that level and they've gotten that foundation, that base of having that self-worth, that confidence, now it's really just about kind of filling their tank and making sure that right. they, they don't go on empty, that they can keep gas in the tank, keep things operating smoothly. So right. you can have a coach and a therapist just for that accountability piece too. It doesn't have to always be a tool that's used just, just in an emergency.
1: Right. I mean, and I and I have to say too, I think that you can't self coach.
0: Mm-hmm. You can't be
1: your own therapist because you we have, we're totally subjective about our own lives, and, and a therapist is an objective outside person. Sure. You can try to self coach, but I think there's nothing like getting a coach. I'm a triathlete, and for many years I was self coaching, or I was looking for a coaching. I wanted to do I don't know an Olympic distance triathlon, or when I was doing half hour man the beginning. I self coached. I actually bought a book or I went to a magazine or downloaded something off the internet, which was like a 12 week, half hour man training plan, you know, and it just told you, like, swim three times a week. And it was not detailed and it was run four times a week and it was bike. And I did that for years. I self coached. Right. But I realized when I was continuing to be middle, come in middle of the pack. And I had big goals for myself, big, hairy, audacious goals of wanting to get on the podium. And I was tired. And I thought I had potential. And I was tired of coming in fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. I finally got myself a triathlon coach. And she was a game changer for me. And that's when I consistently ended up on the podium. It took me two seasons. But then I was consistently on the podium, first, second, third in my age group. And then I finally uh, qualified for the world championship half Ironman world championships. So that was because of coaching wow. and, and, and my business coach, my life coach, I pay for all these people. My, now my podcasting coach, mm-hmm. all of these people are in my life because I can't self coach. So I have to say that a plug for, for you and, and say this for all those coaches out there that I have my own therapist. I have my own coach. Wow. They help me see my world in my life. Through a lens with
0: which I cannot see. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. there's so much strength in, in saying that. And I also have a therapist and a coach, and they help me with my accountability and right. seeing through a different lens. And there's there's power in that. Once if you're you're stagnant and you want to see growth and you are wanting to have that mentorship and those tools that are aren't accessible to you on, on your own. And there's power and there's strength in reaching out and you know talking to people that are a little bit more ahead of the game than you that know a little bit more that have that outside perspective. Absolutely,
1: there's something to be said for putting your money where your mouth is. I had money, I had scarcity, scarcity, financial scarcity issues for years, and I had to work through that. I had to work through that with a coach, and she was really hard on me and really made me look at my money issues and that was so huge for me and then i realized if i'm going to if i want these really good coaches in my life i've got to pay for it and i'll tell you when you're paying for something oh. accountability is not so hard you're going to make sure you get that work done
0: <laughs> absolutely <laughs> you know? there's there is absolutely this incentive of if i'm paying for and i'm i'm not frivolous with my, with my money. I've also have the the scarcity mindset that I've had to work through as well. And I'm really intentional about where I'm placing my attention, my time and my money and really insulating my inner circle. And, you know, are these people that I want in my life that are really aligning with my goals? And I'm so careful with that. There is something to be said, Hey, if people are showing up, let me tell you, my coaching clients that are paying out of pocket, there's no insurance for them, they're showing up because they're, they get charged for that session, miss session with less than 24 hours notice. Like there's that extra layer of financial incentive for them. So. Oh yeah. They're incentivized.
1: Yeah. But they, they, not only are they great clients for us, they're, they're great. They're great to themselves. Yes. They, they paid, them, they're paying for something and they've decided to show up in their own lives and they decided to have follow through. And that's what I the wonderful results I see with the coaching clients. You're right, because insurance does not pay for those sessions. So that's a big difference between therapy and coaching.
0: Yeah, that's, that's an important one to point out for sure. And I'm curious, in your coaching sessions, what are some of your favorite go-to exercises or tools that you use with clients to build confidence, to get that foundation uh, going, increase their yeah. confidence?
1: With every client and this is really across the board. So I do this with my therapy clients and with my coaching clients. I start with, I'm trained in cognitive behavioral therapy, advanced cognitive, I've been doing that for years. I have other certifications, DBT, Dialectical Behavioral Acceptance and Commitment. There's other ones that I will use, but by and large, with every client, I do do work on CBT. I teach them the skills of CBT. Mm -hmm. So in, in order for somebody to gain more confidence, I have to look, or more importantly, it behooves them, it's imperative that they look within themselves and ask themselves why they are struggling with confidence. Mm -hmm. And once they do that deeper dive into why they're struggling, what they often find is that critical negative self-talk comes up.
0: Mm -hmm. And when we
1: look at the words that they're using, the sentences that they're saying to themselves, we find that, oh, there are so many thought distortions here and they don't pan out. They don't hold up. When I, when I pull the mirror up to my client and say, okay, look at that negative talk, that negative sentence you just said about yourself. Look at that self critical voice. And she just said, I'll never be able to do it. Oh, let's say I, I suck at this. Well, where's the evidence for that? Yes. And what they find, right, is that 90 to 95% of the time, there's little to no evidence for their negative, critical voice. So I start, when I'm working on confidence with my clients, I always start with, let's look at your thoughts and let's look at that criticism that's going on inside of you. Almost everybody who comes to me has it, to some degree. Some more than others, but almost everybody has it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Part of that that audit, I don't call it an audit, but part of the, the homework, the exercises that I put in place for clients too, have to do with their thoughts. Hey, you're not going to be tedious in writing. You know, I don't want you to write down every single thought, but let's, let's write down what some of these frequent flyers are. How intense are they? How frequent are they? How dark are they? Um, when are they popping up for you? And so we can kind of get a little bit more context around when these thoughts keep popping up and that will tell us so much about what some of these environmental, emotional landmines in our environment, what that looks like. So, I, right. I love the right. thoughts exercise. That's so powerful.
1: And then after that, really, once they have really worked through their, what I say are thought distortions, what are thought distortions, once they've worked that through, then we can move into gaining courage and being brave. And then now, now is the behavior of, of doing the do, taking the chance. and let's say it's you're you have a terrible you need to give a talk and you're uh, want to get you part of you wants to get into public speaking but you're tell you're afraid of public speaking. And I have to say number one, that is that is the number one biggest fear phobia that we have is public speaking. So mm-hmm. I use that because that's very common. When people think about having to speak in public they freak out. But let's mm-hmm. say it's let's say it's confidence to show up to a race and to do your very best. Maybe you have your eyes are wandering, and you just keep comparing yourself to everybody around you. Uh, they're, a, they're a better athlete than me. They're faster. They're stronger. They're better. They've done more work. All of the things that we say to ourselves. Once we've done that work, then you need to show up, and you need to practice, practice, practice. When you practice, and you know this, Carrie, confidence comes from practice. But you got to fail forward. You got to fail, but you fail forward,
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: confidence comes from that. So. That's really how I work with clients.
0: I love the fail forward. What a golden nugget. That's something that I think is really accessible and tangible that people can kind of hold on to. Fail right. forward. Nothing wrong with. And that.
1: you're going to screw up, you're not going to have a great game. You know, not every great game is going to be great. So if you feel like you air quote failed, then fail forward.
0: What well, mm. can you learn
1: from it? You get your, you pick yourself up. You 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 dust yourself off and you get you know like like I grew up riding horses, get right back up on that horse. And if my coach, my instructor, my coach at the time didn't make me get back up on that horse when I was a little kid and I got thrown, I'm telling you, I never would have gotten back on that horse. I actually probably never would have gotten on a horse again because I was so terrified. But she said, nope, you're getting right back up. And I'm telling you, I was terrified, but it was because she literally made me get back up on the horse. That's why I spent most of my adult, well, until recently, but most of my life riding horses and, and getting to an advanced level with, with horseback riding because of that one moment when I was a child and I got thrown and didn't want to get back up. She made me and I did it.
0: That's so cool. I, you know, what comes to mind when you say that is, you know, the further, the, the, the more space you put between yourself and that discomfort. So if you were to have waited Months, years to get back on the horse. That there's more fear that has room to fill that space. Oh yeah.
1: Mm. Oh, my head would have been filled with fear. I was so terrible mm. I remember that moment like it was yesterday. I was so full of fear. I could not believe that an animal could, inst- an animal that I loved and thought was so beautiful, could instill such fear on me that because I knew that I could have been killed. You know what I mean? Like I like mm-hmm. I was terrified but she's like nope she was unemotional she's like i'm like
0: i'm like it up
1: to leave the arena she's like no you're right you're right all right you get back up no 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 she's like nope you get right she gave me a leg up you're right back up i'm like okay but that was a game changer once again it's a game changer
0: Absolutely, I love that story. That's such a great example. (laughs) I'm terrified of heights. And every time that I have been cliff jumping or doing something really brave with friends, and I think about how much worse it is, like the longer. Just in the summer, nothing too crazy, but even 10 feet, I get, you know, I get scared, but I like to push. It's something, something that I, you know, I haven't, I haven't done it for a little bit, but I, especially when I was younger, like high school and college, I go with my friends and you want to, you know be with your friends and do the fun things and take the risks. And I didn't want to miss out. I had major FOMO. And so I would always be on the cliff. And I just think about the times where I'm just like, oh my gosh, I was up there for like 10 minutes before I actually did it. And how much worse it was than if I were to actually just, just go right away and yeah. go with it. The longer that you you stand up there, the more distance you put between you and the thing, you and the discomfort, the more fear just builds and your emotional brain just starts to drive and you talk yourself out of some some really cool things by having your fear and your emotional brain drive.
1: Yeah, that well, it's so funny you say that because I that's one thing I have a fear of and I really don't have much of a desire to get beyond it that's that's one thing i don't really want to work on is that you know my kids have jumped out of airplanes you know so many people i know have you know done it for their 30th or 40th birthday and i'm like yeah i am i'm not even getting in the plane to go up in the air to jump like i'm not even getting in that little plane which i'm I'm terrified of i'm not doing that
0: (laughs) all that anticipation and fear I I think I thought about that yesterday. Actually, my husband jumps out of planes as part of his tr- job and his training, and I was thinking, gosh, how brave he is to do that. The ride up would be really uncomfortable for me, and I was like, hmm, to to break outside of that comfort zone, would I ever skydive or bungee jump or anything like that? And I'm, I'm with you. I'm like, okay, the cliff jumping's one thing. You know, I'd really have to be hard pressed to get myself in a plane, but and it's you know,
1: well, uh, we watch. my husband and I always watched the, you know, the show, the amazing race. Yes. I think it's on it's yes. that reality TV, the adventure show. And, and we've watched it for years and it's, I think it's back on again. They didn't do it in the beginning of the pandemic. And I was listening to another podcast where they were talking about somebody was interviewed who's on the their most recent amazing race. And I was telling my husband, "Oh, they're filming again? They're doing it again?" And we've always talked about wanting to to be to apply to be a contestants in the Amazing Race. And so cool. You have, yeah, like, but you have to take three months off. You have to be able to go for three months because you travel throughout the world, and you have all these challenges. And <clears throat> there's challenges of cultural and food, and you know the dancing, food, and, and you know the running and the adventure stuff. And I, one of them, it seems to be in every single episode is. Something with fear of something with heights, and I was just telling my husband last week, "I, I, would you want to apply for it? You have to be able to take three months off. Can we do it now that our kids are older? And would would we get the show? And we're you know fantasizing about being on the show." And I said to him, "If we get in that show, you're going to have to be the one who has to jump or bungee jump or jump off a crane." And he knows it. That will not be me. And if we both, I just need you to know that if we both have to do something like that. We're out of the race. He's like, I know, I know. He's you know, he just knows. Like, there's no there's no me bungee jumping. Like, we're out, we're not getting a million dollars, we're going home. And if that's day two, then it's day two. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. Knowing your you know, knowing your limits and knowing yes. knowing yes. your boundaries, what activities throughout your day are gonna move you toward being in alignment with the best version of you the better version of you uh, and what does that look like and you jumping off a crane would probably produce too much anxiety for you to function everyone has their their boundaries their threshold for what they're willing to what they're willing to do there are probably so many things in your life that you do to push yourself outside of your your comfort zone i mean triathlete training getting a coach outside your comfort zone you know lots of things on the daily it's really important to walk the walk for our clients, they're looking at us and they're thinking, well, what do you, what do you do to show up? Like, how are you showing up? And am I going to build like, and trust with, with you because you're aligned with your goals, right? So that's important. I'm always curious what people's mindfulness routines look like. And I'm, I'm dying to know what, what are some of the things that you incorporate throughout your day to be mindful and really prioritize your wellness?
1: Well, So mindfulness to me is different from working out, like my training when I'm training is training and it's focused. There's, there's a goal in mind. That's, so that's just my, that's my athletic training. Mindfulness. What I do is I'll try to every morning wake up and I do a guided meditation and I have one of the apps that I love that I use all the time and I will do anywhere from a 15, so, I'm sorry. Five minutes, depending on my day, and if I if I've got up late, five to like a twenty minute guided meditation, and that's awesome. really a quieting of my mind, and that is quieting of the of my mind, and just noticing where my mind goes and bringing it right back to my breath, and bringing it right back to what I visualize. So my visualization is the light that starts at the top of my head and goes down through my whole body. And ends in my toes and goes right back up and what i do is my like my in my mind's eye my third eye i'm just watching that light and that helps me stay focused in the present moment and quiets me mm. and you know i think so many of us today have that monkey mind have that crazy attention deficit mind yes. you know as my husband likes to say I have shiny ball syndrome because I'm,
0: I, love, I don't, <laughs>
1: he's a gift shiny ball syndrome.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Shiny ball or squirrel, right? Like yes. squirrel. <laughs> yes. yes.
1: Cause I, I don't have a, a diagnosis of attention deficit cause I know cause we can, we have the DSM at right. five and I'm diagnosed, I'm like two criteria off of a diagnosis of it, but it doesn't That's matter. I It doesn't matter. I think there's so many of us in 2022 in this world have these monkey minds and, you know, we'll be going for a walk during the pandemic. We were doing a lot more walking as not so much today, but back in in 2020, we were all home and he would say to me, we had not walked that much together ever. He'd say to me, oh my God, he's like, shiny ball, shiny ball. He's like, you're a shiny ball. He's like, we were just talking about this and now you're talking about that. Now you're talking about that. He's like, can you stay on one topic at a time? (laughs) so, meditation is so important because it makes me focus on me in the present moment. And right now, I'm doing a a focus meditation, a particular focus meditation for me helps me just stay focused throughout my day. And I do that so that I can move through my day and move through my schedule in a focused and calm way. If I didn't have that in my life, I really think I would be much more scattered then
0: i sometimes feel like i am yeah absolutely especially with i know you're a business owner and therapist coach mom yeah. wife friend all of these different obligations that we have and everything in our society tells us to go fast and do more and we we're constantly trying to battle that and so yeah. i always I like to say like you have to slow down to go fast if you invest yeah. in the morning and really insulate that that time, and you protect it, and you give yourself that space. You actually can be more productive and get more done. You'll be amazed at how much more mental bandwidth you do have by allowing yourself to to have that guided meditation, that breath work in the morning to set yeah. yourself up right.
1: You know, Carrie, it's interesting. I was just thinking it before we got onto this topic. So you and I had a little bit of a snafu this before we started here with, with the sound, you know, and it, and it was just like, I, I feel for you because I'm also a podcaster and I'm feeling nervous because we can't get this. We can't hear each other. And I was, and it was interesting. I was thinking to myself, if this had been five years ago, I would have been so much more stressed out, sweating, sweating, just with so much anxiety that things were not going smoothly for this podcast interview yeah. and what a difference because I'm very mindful of that. I was like, okay, I'm just noticing that this is for some reason we can't get volume. Like I was so different this morning in how I felt about myself in this situation that it'll be okay. We'll work it through. It that is directly a result of, of meditation.
0: Yeah. That's such a good example. Yeah. It literally puts space in between you and that stress response and so it is it's such a big deal and i think segueing into the next thing i I wanted to talk to you about are these non-negotiables that you have for yourself we all know the non-negotiables that we have in order for us to really be the best versions showing up for our partners and for the people in our lives and especially for our clients right because if i'm underslept and i haven't had my work out in the morning, I'm not really aligned with who I am. That's definitely going to show up in the work that I do. And so I always like to kind of hear what your non-negotiables are and what needs to happen in order for you to be the best version of yourself.
1: My number one non-negotiable, and I know that I I told you this before uh, we got on here, I wrote it to you, is SLEEP and I put it in all caps with an exclamation mark, you know, sleep. That is a non-negotiable for me. If I don't get my sleep, I am not good for anyone. Mm -hmm. I don't show up as my best self to my clients. I owe it to my clients to show up as the best version of me. I owe it to them to show up energized, having gotten my sleep, and just ready to be there with full attentiveness, full-on attention, undivided attention towards that, and that Mm -hmm. is sleep. So as well as my husband and my kids, I take it so seriously that when when you have people that are paying for your services, you better show up one hundred percent. Yeah, and for sweet. me that yeah, and for me that's number one sleep, and number two for a non-negotiable for me is working through what I like to say the sludge in my in my head and in my heart. So I've got to get the sludge out, and that is sludge for me is if I have. Relationships in my life that maybe I got into an argument with my husband, or I had a some there's some weirdness with like my sister and I or something or anything like a friend. I have to work that through. I have to, and and sometimes I can have that conversation with the person. Like, hey, we got to let's talk about it. You know, like resolving like an argument that my husband and I had. Let's say I've got to, I've got to talk it through, process feelings, and resolve it. If it's something that I would be weird and wouldn't be appropriate to really talk to that person, anything like it could be anything. It could be a terrible, I don't know, like maybe somebody was really mean to you in the grocery store, and that like that really upset, me, or mean to me in the grocery store that upset me. I would have to go on the process of through with my husband and get a resolve to that. I because that to me is sludge because it hangs around yes. inside of me. Yeah. And so if, if I can work it out with the person, I work it out with them. If it's not something that I'm going to actually talk to that person who I'm upset with about, then I got to find someone else, maybe my therapist or maybe my husband. I got to talk to them and process with them how I'm feeling. Then I can let it, I get resolved and then I can let it go. That's really important. Those are non-negotiables. I don't like to have unfinished, like I say, unfinished bi- emotional business in my life because that will affect other relationships. It will re- it will reflect where my head is at
0: and yeah. my, where my heart is at. Yeah, I love what you said, the sludge. So many of us don't verbally process or truly process some of those things and we unfortunately end up carrying around some of that sludge in our day-to-day interactions and we don't right. get back to neutral, I think. Getting back to neutral prior to sleep is really important. Sometimes if you have an argument or something like that and you need a little bit more space, I personally don't like to go to bed with, with the sludge, so I always try to process prior to that. And, and something that I think is really helpful, if, if there is sludge with another person, if it's with my husband, we can verbally process at home, but if it is with someone else and I'm not able to clear my plate at the end of the day, I like to do a little bit of a brain dump so it's just yes. a sludge dump, brain dump. And, you know, okay, what ruminating thoughts are are really still weighing on me? What feels heavy that I want to just release and let go? And by writing those things down, giving them that space will then free you up, right? They just want an outlet. They just want a place to be. They don't want to be ignored. Yes. They don't want to yes. come with exactly. you tomorrow. It does. Right. They don't want to come with you tomorrow. So just give them okay. a space to rest and then you can... Find that you will be able to get into your sleep state a little bit quicker and have less disrupted sleep if you're if you're doing those dumps prior to prior to bed.
1: It's interesting. And I have to say this too. I'm a, a faith person, so I'm Christian Catholic. Yeah. And so I have to say this too. When I go to bed at night, that's when I pray, and that's important to me because there's prayer and there's meditation, and so. Prayer, no matter what, this isn't even really about religion, it's just, for me, it's prayer to a higher power, and it's really going through my day, and I grew up with, examine your conscience,
0: mm, and I do I still that. do that,
1: yeah, like, it's, I'll examine my conscience, I, I look at my life, I look at my behavior, I look at my thoughts of the day, and that's been very helpful, and I'll, I'll never forget, I heard Carrie Walsh Jennings in an interview talking about her, her yeah, I do too. And she was talking about her meditation practice and she said it so well and I have adopted it. So this is from Carrie Walsh 12 Jennings, but I've adopted it. She said, Prayer is my talking to God, meditation is my listening. Ooh. Isn't that great?
0: That's powerful. And that's
1: what I do. That's like so prayer at night is talking, talking, talk, talk God's ear off, talk, 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 talk. And then meditation the next morning is okay, I'm listening. I'm mostly for whatever I need to, what I need, what I need to see, what I need to feel, and just be with it. What comes up for me? What's
0: showing up for me? So oh, I, I love that too. Oh, I think that's so cool. The prayer piece—that's a big deal. It is something. It's a part of the holistic assessment that I do with clients. Is we talk about what is your spiritual relationship? What What does that look like? Who is your Higher power, what do you what do you believe in? What's important to you? And your spiritual health is just as important as your mental or physical. It is absolutely, yeah. And I don't think we don't talk about it
1: enough. I mean, I do also talk about my clients, but I think by and large, there's we've developed maybe a little bit of a fear or trepidation around talking about that today. And I I think it's so important that we do. It's not what it's not about religion. It's not. It's it doesn't matter to me. It's just. Do you have a, a, some sort of spiritual life? And that can be however you want to define it. But that's, yeah, I'm glad you, that we're talking about this because I do think it's an important part of our lives.
0: Yeah, abs- Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so, yeah, there's a really interesting podcast. I'll, I'll link in the show notes that I listened to. I don't know if you're a fan of Rich Roll. Do you know who Rich Roll oh, is? I'm obsessed. Are you kidding me? I've <laughs> forever. Me too. If you're listening, you are okay. a dream guest. Absolutely, that is that is my goal as well. Manifesting that, I'm manifesting it, Gary. Totally, I'm I'm right there with you, putting out all the vibes. I want to have him as a guest. He's he's phenomenal, and he had a podcast. Gosh, was it last week with a a PhD? I can't remember her name. I'll link in the show notes, but it was on the neuroscience of spirituality. And man, was it a cool podcast! It it talked. Listen to that one, yeah. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. So anyone that's listening. Yeah. That one was, yeah, it was just a special one just on a little bit of the science and and cool things that are happening right now with the neuroscience around spirituality and how that impacts our daily interactions because we are a disconnected culture right now. And so it talks just about how we all have some, so many commonalities and we really are social creatures and we can all bond over our connection to some sort of a higher power and that has healing benefits. So highly recommend that. I'll link that one in the show notes for sure. Okay. And then I can't let you go without talking about your athletic identity a little bit. And I, I listened to a podcast of yours the other day and I think you were talking about you having it was one with your husband and you were talking about your races and some of the anxiety that you have prior to races and how you get through that and what your routine looks like and what your mindset looks like and how you shift that and i would love to know as an athlete yourself how important is your mindset going into races and when that anxiety kicks up what are some of your tools to allow yourself to to perform optimally yeah i mean we could
1: we could do another hour on performance anxiety oh, alone.
0: And I would love to do that. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, and I have really struggled with anxiety as an athlete, which is interesting. Is the the more competitive that I got, and the air quotes better that I got as a triathlete, the more my anxiety rose. Yeah. So when I was kind of just doing the self coaching and. And I, I think I knew I'd come in the middle of the pack. I wasn't as anxious as I got better with my training and I got more focus and I started to reap the benefits and see the results of my very intentional training. I became more anxious because I started to go up a few notches and to be competitive with the girls. I thought the, the women I thought I would never be able to compete with. And here yeah. I was now like, Hey, I'm, I'm third, but I'm on the podium. Yeah. So, but. I got all up in my head in it with anxiety around performance. So quickly, I can tell you that what I have told myself is what I remind myself of when I start to feel anxious. And number one is I accept it. I accept that it's there and anxiety for me before a race. Now, it can, the bigger races, the anxiety will kick in two to three days in advance. It'll start. And, and that's, that can be horrible. That used to be a living hell because it was hard for me to do anything else because I had this like low lying anxiety about the race on Saturday or Sunday. And now it's Thursday. What I have since identified that as is adrenaline, that my adrenaline is kicking in. My hormones are kicking in because I'm about to do something really big and great. And that I, rather than being anxious, I'm excited. So I've changed my words. I've changed my thinking. Yeah. I've changed my words around going into a race. That not that I have to do this race, Anna. You get to do this. You know, sometimes me saying you're healthy, your your bones, your muscles, your joints there. You know, you're not sick. Sometimes that'll work. Sometimes, to be honest, that doesn't work. It's like yeah, whatever. It, it that doesn't. That's not working for me. What does work for me is identifying that it's adrenaline and that I care about this race. You know, if I didn't care, I wouldn't be anxious. And that's a really wonderful thing, really. So I've really worked on, like I said before about how I work with clients, coaching clients and therapy clients. I've worked on this myself. I do my own, like a thought record around my distortions, my crazy distortions that come up in my head about like, you kind of suck, you haven't done the work, and you're not as good as them. I mean, I've done that. I've lived in that headspace, right. which is crippling. I, it's crippling. I mean, it, it would have me in tears before races. It would have me in a bad mood. It would. It really would have me like, like a whimpering cry. Ask my husband, yeah, how many times? Mm. And after I got help with it, I started to work on it. What I first did was I worked on my mindset, worked on my thoughts, and then – and and this is kind of the same as my set number 2 is I tell myself that the hay is in the barn you've done the work
0: mm-hmm. the hay is in the
1: barn shut the door now go have fun yeah and that's what I do that really is I mean so it's a whole system within which I work but it really is looking at my mindset embracing my anxiety and turning it into excitement and being really honest about why I'm nervous because I care and I want to do well and it is always pre-race it's always pre-race once my head my body hits that water it's gone because I'm using the adrenaline right so I I understand now what's going on for me you know kind of neurologically and that does help too when when you get understanding about why your body is reacting or the way it is pre-race it does help bring a sense of calm because we understand and we know
0: why we're doing this does that does that make sense yeah it's just cool that you have these experiences to reference and to pull from because I think who wants to meet with a coach or a therapist who hasn't been through some shit and it's important for you to walk the walk and talk the talk and to be real and authentic about these experiences and how you've moved through them having a bunch of different tools it's really interesting that you said sometimes that telling myself that my body is strong and like I deserve to be here. Sometimes that will be helpful and work for you. And sometimes it won't. And you have to pull from another tool in your tool belt and focus on something else. So I think let's, you know, go back to the drawing board. Okay. What, what else, what else can I do? What else do I have in my back pocket? Because I think sometimes athletes will use, if they're really down in the depth down in the dumps, and they're they're having so much negative self talk prior to performance, they'll use like positive self talk rather than neutral or right. And right. so then they're like, "Oh shit, I don't believe this," and then they they're freaking out because it it's, seems too it's far authentic. away. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah, and I will tell you. I mean, I have done this work in the past five years. I mean,
1: I've been a triathlete. But this is this was my 19th season, so I've been doing this so for cool. almost 20 years. And I will tell you five or six years ago, I was so nervous before a race and I was with my husband's also a triathlete. And we were with our good friend. The three of us were walking, I think, to get on the bus, to go to the swim start and I was so in my head with my anxiety that I couldn't even participate in the conversation between the two of them. You know, we all have nervous jitters. I think that they weren't even really Tim was, my husband was not really focused on me. He was talking to our friend, Jonathan. and. They were just kind of nervous ch- chattering about, like, and also making sure they're nervous about their race and they had everything in their dishes, they, they just had everything they needed for the. I think we we're bringing, like, our big backpacks with us with all of our stuff. But I remember walking next to them and I was, like, crying, like, crying, like, was quietly crying because my anxiety was so bad. Oh. And I just said, I'm not doing the race. I'm not, and my husband looks at me like, what, what are you, what are you talking, what, what are you, I'm not, I'm not getting on the bus. He's like, what do you mean? He's, I said, I'm not doing the race. race. I had such bad anxiety carry. I mean, that had never happened before that and it's not happened since, but I did not do the race. And so, and then I felt this, immediately felt this overwhelm, overwhelming sense of uh, relief. Like, oh, I'm done. My anxiety can go away because I'm not doing the race. And it did. Mm-hmm. It went away. And then I, so I think I took the the spectator bus. Yeah, I took the spectator bus over later. I caught my husband and his friend right before they went off. And now I'm a spectator. And now as soon as I see all the triathletes go off in the water swimming, I'm like, damn, I wish I was doing the race. (laughs) I was like, what am I not here doing the race? It drove me crazy to watch that. My husband's coming to the finish line. I said, never again, never again. You've got to get a handle on this anxiety. Because you didn't do a race you've been training your butt off for. That you and I look at the times with the women, I thought I could have placed in this group in this race. Yeah. And your anxiety is plaguing you so bad that you didn't do a race. You've got to get help, and that was a turning point for me with getting help with all this.
0: Yeah, that's it's such a powerful story, and I think now that now you have that as a reference of a time where you really you don't want to go back to, you know, you don't want to go back to that place. I think it did. Right. It yeah. did. And it can be even more frustrating when you're someone that, that, that has these tools. You know, I think that's just, that just goes to show how powerful anxiety can be. And it really can be crippling and, and impact your, your physical, mental, spiritual health at such a, at such a crippling level. And so now you have that experience as a reference of like, okay, I'm never, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go back to that place. And I, I have that and I'm putting that in my, in my tool belt as a, a memory I can pull out in, in case I, you know, I need a reminder of where I was and, and where I am now and what I don't want to go back to. Cause I think yes. that's even more important sometimes for, for references. Okay. What do, what do I not want to do? You know, what do I not want to repeat? So. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I, I was I was upset with myself, I was disappointed, and you're right because I had been counseling about anxiety, but I was that was a, a next level <laughs> next level of anxiety that i I realized I didn't fully I wasn't able to fully empathize with what certain clients had been going through. And I thought to myself, if that's what they feel, oh my gosh, I, if that's what they feel. I've never felt that before. right. And that was it, it, it and I think that these lessons show up in our lives for a reason. I think it showed up for me and I experienced it. I needed to go through it in order to be able to say now, I don't know. I'm not just listening to you client and I can kind of say, like, I try to understand what it is you, you go through. I know what you go through because I've been there. Right. So that's true empathy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It just makes for such a strong therapist and coach. When you have the relatability, your client doesn't need to know exactly what you went through and into the depths, but it will come through it will authentically show through in your ability to relate with them and give them those actionable tools they'll be like oh this lady like knows her shit. she gets it and it translates and it's funny because i
1: have this conversation this translates to like i said earlier like entrepreneurs who were speak, were about to go into a who got just got signed to to speak on a stage uh, people starting their own businesses it could be really anything it's like it's, a, it's start deciding to show up in life, it, it not just for athletes, but deciding to right. show up bold with confidence. It could be, you name it, it could be any different arena.
0: Right. Yeah. I'm glad that we talked about that. And so to wrap up the podcast, I could talk to you all day and we'll definitely have to do another podcast <laughs> for sure. But what is the best advice that you have received? What's something that has stuck with you that maybe you use with clients, or maybe you just apply it to your own life. The best
1: wisdom that I have received from, from multiple people is consistency. Consistency really is the key. So mm. consistency in training, you know, it's not that you have these great training days, even the days when you feel like crap, and you still have to go out and do like a four mile run. That is a deposit into the bank of training be consistent. Whenever you feel like you don't want to do your social media, you don't want to do a reel or you don't want to blog and you don't, or you don't, whatever it might be, you don't want to do any content creation. Stick with it. Maybe it's not a a long of an article, but be consistent. Stick with it. It will pay in the end. It does pay in dividends. Consistency really is key. And I've heard that over and over and over again from my coaches. And I know it to be true. I, I know it to be true.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're speaking right to me here. I think yes. that there are different, definitely, I'm to with you. for sure there are aspects of the business that it's easy to kind of get bogged down sometimes and not be aligned with, with your routine and what works for you. And so I think that's a really good reminder and just coming back to that question, is this, is this something that's aligning with my goals? Is this something that's going to have a big impact if I'm skipping my workout or if I'm skipping, my meditation or if I'm skipping my my content creation, something like that. And yes, the answer is yes. Those will be big impact factors for me. So then it does make you take a second look at what you're you know choosing to do and move forward with or skip. <laughs> Absolutely right.
1: And keep showing up with whatever it is you decide that you are of what you value and what you align with. Just keep showing up.
0: Keep showing up. Oh that's yeah. a good that's a good one to end on. Yeah. Anna, if people want to get more golden nuggets from you where can they find you
1: they can uh, my website annamarkalene.com that's easy and then i'm on instagram at badass underscore confidence underscore coach on instagram linkedin annamarkalene coaching and counseling facebook annamarkalene coaching and counseling so i'm, I'm all over the place it's, it's pretty easy to find me you can google me find me
0: love it okay awesome yeah. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I've really enjoyed no, our conversation. Yeah,
1: yeah, I have to Thank you so much for
0: having me. It's Carry been this. Awesome. Yeah, this is really great. I, cool. I really enjoy speaking with you. I cannot wait yeah. to do your podcast here soon. So yes, we're going to. You're coming up we'll be on mine. We'll be on the Badass Confidence Coach podcast coming up here pretty okay. soon. All right. Well, everyone, take care and we will see you on the next podcast. Thanks, Anna. Okay. All right, thanks so much.